welcome back to four at the back we're three at the back this time you would have heard us doing our team of the season from season two more recently but we've just finished this season's premier league so we thought we'd stop by and just have a quick show to talk about all the things that have happened because it was certainly an eventful season and that's just thinking about what happened with the european super league we've got as i say three of us here so we've got maz and neil so arsenal and spurs again two members of that that super league thing and two, oh god <laughs> and, yeah one uh, european conference spot between the pair of us yeah i mean plenty of disappointment to go around in uh in in north london if only because they're used to aiming a little bit higher but it was a madcap year i think it's fair to say for both teams i don't know if you want to start with north london or shall we go top to bottom we could start with man city if you preferred and let you build up to uh to that Oh, I don't mind. Don't mind uh, getting getting our lot out of the way first. Yeah, we can get the mediocrity out of the way. All right. Well, in that case, then we'll start in in North London. I think the obvious thing, we kind of have to start with Jose, don't we? (laughs) I mean, I guess you could see it coming. I mean, uh, you know, I, I still don't hate the idea because, I mean, Levy's idea was, all right, they've got, you know, there's an established squad of players that... Pochettino has done as much as he can with. He's lost the dressing room. He's kind of overworked them. And but yet there's still a, a nucleus of a very good squad there. A few signings to freshen it up, and somebody that is inverted commas a winner. And you know you might um you might see some results from that. So I the, you know it's very easy in hindsight to kind of go and say it was a terrible idea. And 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 you know in hindsight it was a terrible idea. But but I could. You could see the logic, you know, because I'm, I suppose when you've got Kane, Son, Lloris, you know, all in their, their you know, I mean, we didn't say Lloris was in his prime, but he's still a, a decent age for a goalkeeper. You know, the idea of getting in somebody that could just, you know, give a short term boost. I mean, you know, everyone knows you don't hire Jose for a long term project, but to give a short term boost, you know, to kind of get the new stadium going and all of that stuff. And then, of course, you know, the pandemic hits. Actually did Spurs a lot of favours last season. You know, they had a good run of form to end that mad season that ended in, you know, July or what have you last year. And fifth place, Europa League secured, etc. And actually, at the beginning of last season, the beginning of the season we just had, obviously, we were top of the league for a period of time. And it looked like it found a formula. You know, it was like they were keeping it pretty tight at the back. Kane was dropping deep into midfield and spraying those 40-yard passes for Son to run into. And teams didn't work it out for for a few weeks, really. And I think, it's, I mean, probably the turning point was that 3-3 with West Ham, because if they, won, if they win that, forget how many points clear they would have gone, but it would have made... It would have made a fair bit of difference to um to to have won that game when you're three 0 up at half time. So, yeah, it was it was it kind of went quite badly wrong quite quickly from there, and the classic thing started happening. I don't think I disagree with the shelving of Deli Ali every time he played. He was dreadful, and you know he didn't pull up any trees once Mason came in and put him back in. So I mean I think you can say that Jose was pretty justified on that one. But you know the the decision not to try and get Bale match fit and start him for a run of games until basically he was about to be sacked was pretty strange. And I think you saw, you know, once Bale was fit at the end of the season, he was playing like Gareth Bale. So that was a puzzler. There was a sense in which he never really knew what his best lineup was, certainly never knew what his best defence was. And the thing I think good Jose teams in the past, you always knew what the best 11 was. And I don't think he ever really settled on one. Um, he would lose faith in 
one of the front players regularly. So he was very into Bergwijn for a while, and then he disappeared. He picked Lucas a lot, but again would then leave Matt for a period of time. So really, Son and Kane did carry the team. Son, Kane, Hoiberg were the players that played really, really well. Reguilon was was very, very good in, in, in fits and starts. So, but what I will say is that seventh, I don't think it's as much of a disaster as it's being painted. It's only a disaster in so much as you've got around to the Europa Conference League now. But actually, looking back through, you know, through Spurs history, I mean, I, I remember Jerry Francis finishing seventh and being delighted with it. So, yeah, I mean, it's a disappointment relative to the last decade. But even so, it uh, could probably have been a lot worse. I mean, at half time on, uh, you know, half time the last day of the season, you know, Arsenal were going to get a St. Totteringham's day for the first time in four or five years. So um, you know, that was avoided, if at the cost of having to probably travel to Greece a great deal next season. Maz, before we uh, move on to Arsenal, I'll let you kind of go in there. I just wanted to tie that in together. Mourinho's now alienated about four dressing rooms in a row. And is that the end of him as a top line, as a genuinely top line manager? Is he going to be just one of the people who's constantly on the treadmill now going from club to club? I don't know. Let's see what he does at Roma. You know, I, I would have slapped him up in an instant when Spurs slapped him up. I don't think it was a bad move at all at the time. It turned out to not be a great one. But, you know, like Neil was saying, you know, there was a point where they were flying and it just fell away, I guess. It's weird, even in, in, in a work environment, you can see how kids today, or, you know, by kids, what I mean is, you know, people coming up today, it's a different attitude, even to 10 years ago. Uh, and I think that's probably where Mourinho is failing, more so than on tactics or anything like that. He just can't seem to hold a dressing room. I, I think the thing with Mourinho is he's, you know, your gaffer's got to be in charge. And... I think as the game progresses, that becomes harder and harder for a manager to do, especially if you haven't played at the top level. He's got a lot of, you know, he has no lack of confidence. And I'm just wondering if if that, as time goes on and, you know, changing in, in you know, just that slight change in kids coming through, more and more kids coming through, less and less interested in what this cocky old he's uh, is saying he he's he's no longer young and relatable like he was when he burst onto the scene even if he didn't have that playing career he's just kind of a a cocky old git now and you know maybe maybe that's where he's losing dressing rooms uh, I, I i don't know it's all speculation at this point you know I, I think if he gets the right job in the right club he could probably show stuff in italy i don't know it, it seems like it might be a good fit for him suits him more than probably suits him more than anywhere else at the moment and just in terms of the, the football that still tends to be played in Italy yeah um, I mean just you just look at European competitions over the last few years and and see you know the Premier League is right back on top of the top of the world again really you know another all British European final this year won a couple of years ago four different teams in them at that you know we've had multiple teams in the uh, you know We've had Arsenal and uh, Man United, who haven't been in those finals, in the final of the Europa League in recent years as well. So you've got to say you're looking at the toughest league in the world again. Mm. You know, uh, 
I just want to say we'll come on to both of those teams in the uh, the Champions League final in a minute. And by the time this gets posted, you will know more about the Champions League final than we do because it's still yet to happen uh, at the time we're recording this. But bef- before we get there, Maz, uh, your thoughts on Arsenal uh, and this season? Because it looked like it could have gone very badly wrong at one point, but they, they kind of recovered a bit towards the end. Yeah, uh, we recovered to the point where we didn't get European football for the first time in, in a quarter of a century. I, I, I really don't know what to make of Arsenal anymore. It, it's been tough. You know, it, it seems to be one step forward, two steps back with um, Arteta. Every time you start to think, oh, yeah, maybe. And then it's back a couple of spaces and you're like, no, he's not the guy. And then goes on a run again. <sighs> something wrong in the dressing room, obviously. There's something rotten in there. I think, I, I don't know who it is. We've got to get out, but. I think there's certainly players we've got to get out. I just I think we need a hard reset, really. Get get rid of them all from the board to the bloody boot room, you know. Steve Bold's gone pretty recently, which is a shock. But uh, I'll be honest with you, Steve Bold has been in a position at that club for a long time, and I'm not really sure what he's ever done. You know, he's obviously been in in a position that it, it's very quiet, and you you can't ever say, you know, you can't say well. He's instilled that old Arsenal defence spirit into the team because that never fucking happened. So I, I, I get a few people are upset about that, but again, honestly, I, I don't see what I don't know what he's done. Let, let's put it that way. The, the last um, couple of years, he's I've just seen he's listed as the under 23s coach. Yeah, he, so, he spot trolls with um, Freddie Lundberg. Freddie Lundberg at, at one point, didn't he? Which you know, I guess was already showing some kind of writing on the wall. Because um, that's a quite a hefty demotion. Because it looks like he was the assistant manager. Yeah, he was. He was before that. Two. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's I, I I don't know what to make of it. You know, we we're obviously become a much more solid team defensively. Generally, I mean, we still have our moments. And for years, I did say that's where you've got to start. You've got to start rebuilding there. But uh, at the expense of what? If we can have struggling for goals a lot of the year, if we can have Joe Willett go out on loan and score seven games in a row for Newcastle, you've got to question that move by Arteta. Don't get me wrong. I know we've got quite a lot of players who can play in that role. But again, if you've got a player that's coming through, a youngster who's got that seeming level of talent, why are we getting... Odegaard on loan in the first place uh, and that's nothing against Odegaard he's done quite quite well for us by all account but you know we, we've got players there there's bright lights in there and all the bright lights are mainly the youngsters you know Saka has been fantastic Smith Rowe looks like a absolute player that's exciting to me Pepe starting to show his French league form a little bit towards the end of the year so hopefully that can come through Bad year, not a great year for Aubameyang. You know, Lacazette scored a few goals this year. I, I do wonder if that's where the problem is. Maybe that's where it needs a reset. Um, not not a fan of us losing our, our star players, but uh, I think if ever there's a time for a hard reset and just put put some stock into the kids, make 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 some good signings, cash in some money where we can, build get some solid players around there and and do that that would be the way forward for me you know it, it, it's it's a bad season a cup could have papered over the cracks again like it did last year but even that wasn't to be 
you know, I think the irony of, of Emery getting one over on us it is not to be lost. It, it, it's important. And we got to a point where Emery had to go. But, you know, he's just won a team with arguably nowhere near the, the level of players that, that he had with us. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think most Arsenal fans would have said, you've got to keep playing Martinez this year. You know, we sold him. He was the Villa player of the year. And, you know, Leno's had some questionable moments, not his greatest season. And, you know, I think there's been some bad decisions by the manager. He's never seemed quite sure on what his best team is, who he wants to play. There's obviously some unrest in the dressing room. And it stems from the top. You know, I don't think, you know, I don't know if Daniel X going to get any kind of ground whatsoever, uh, get the Cronkies out. If he does, I don't know how much trust you can have in him, but, you know, he's got the right men behind him and that that's my fingers crossed. I think it's change has got to come from the top for Arsenal right now because the club just seems rotten from top to bottom. Yeah, I mean, we'd say that Arsenal recovered and I think eighth in the end. It's not a great season by Arsenal's recent standards by any stretch of the imagination, but it is worth remembering that the reason that's a recovery is before Christmas, there was serious talk that Arsenal could end up getting sucked into a relegation battle in that lengthy stretch without a win. They did look pretty woeful. And so that's why the recovery only yeah. meant that you were only ever going to fall so short. And um, what you're saying there about having a hard reset is, is quite interesting because it's been a while now that the rumours about Arsenal have been that the top players, the, the stars, are the ones that have been causing the problems uh, going back through you know, Sanchez and Ozil. It's, it's, when you add it all up, it, it's several years of that now. But speaking of the top, obviously Arsenal and Spurs are, are almost perennial fixtures in the top four, but they both missed out this year. So we ended up with a top four of, of Manchester City, who ran away with the title by, by some margin. Manchester United managed to recover from a fairly bad patch early on in the season themselves to come second. Liverpool miraculously came third, and then Chelsea obviously rounded out the top four with that somewhat fortunate final day where uh, Gareth Bale ironically fired Chelsea to fourth place. So just without wanting to go into a tremendous amount of detail, just thoughts about the top four. You know, Liverpool falling from first to third, City being basically untouchable all season. Man United, we've just seen... Second is pretty respectable, all things considered, but they just have come off this tepid performance in the Europa League final that's left the Ollie out brigade on the march once again. And then, and then Chelsea were, you know, always very interesting because of the, the weird setup they've got there with the Bramovich and so on. So just uh, what, what do people make of their seasons? I think hmm, City is, I mean, they had a terrible start. Like people forget they, they finished... 2019-20, they they finished that season very strong, way too late because Liverpool had already wandered off by the, with the title by then. But City looked very very good in that that last bit of you know after the restart, after project restarts they called it, and then a horrible start, and then they just they just kind of I mean they were 12th at one point I think, and then they just they kind of rounded into form, and I think they thrashed Burnley. I remember watching that game, and it looked like Man City on the t- on the pitch. Gundogan went in that crazy run of goal scoring form mm-hmm. um for a whole midfield player sorry and, to interrupt um, just just to add to what you're saying there they finally went top on the 26th of january but because of the the bad start that you're talking about i think people had a sense that they were building to that for quite some time oh but, yeah yeah um, they started so, to look ominous pretty quickly didn't they i mean yeah like going to one of Mara's, like 
had a, a very good sort of November, December, didn't they? And, mm. um, you know, you kind of, even though they had key players out, De Bruyne was injured a lot, as he often is. You know, but Sterling I'm... was in bad form for most of the season. But you saw City squad depth, you know, yeah. when they bought Diaz, because everyone was saying, you know, central defence is where City are weak. You buy Diaz, Stones has this complete resurgence um, to the point where Laporte can't even get in the team when he comes back from injury. And they just end up with this crazy centre-half depth of, you know, having Ake and Laporte as third and, and fourth choice central defenders, which just shows you. And then, of course, they've got all those fullbacks they can rotate in and out. Yeah, and, and then a, a, the kind of array of creative attacking players. So even though Aguero obviously is in, in you know on decline, hasn't didn't play very much, Jesus very hit and miss, it didn't matter. Because as always with Pep's teams, it's about it's about the collective. United, I think, relied on they relied on Bruno Fernandes far too much. If Bruno Fernandes doesn't play, yeah, if he doesn't play, United don't play, and and it's that simple. And you could see at the end of the season, Fernandes was knackered. He could barely lift a leg, uh, and it's because he played pretty much every game. You know, they had they had Van der Beek who nominally would be Fernandez understudy, barely played a game. So you can see that, that Oli was so reliant on the players that he trusted in that first 11 and, until Cavani kind of worked his way into fitness and then obviously was a genuine alternative in that front three or front four. Like, it, yeah, it was just, I think United just are so reliant on their first 11. Um, and that's that's really what does for them, along with the fact that, you know, uh, Solskjaer, is probably tactically limited, certainly compared to Guardiola or Tuchel. So, yeah, I think I think you know City's City's kind of dominant second half of the season was pretty. You know, you could pretty much see the writing on the wall, especially with Liverpool struggling because United, I don't think were ever were ever seriously going to challenge City. Is no, it fair to I say? Think... So go on, Matt. Sorry, I was just going to say, uh, I don't, uh, you know, I think it, it once City regained their form, it was theirs. And the argument would have always been they're going to regain their form. But they you know, uh, as Neil was saying, their squad, their, their system works and their squad is so deep. And that, that that's what done Liverpool. Liverpool never recovered from losing uh, Van Dijk. You know, I think that's what the problem was. And players lost form, didn't quite have the same form as they did pre-COVID, you know. I mean, yeah. Let, let's not forget that like they struggled big time once after Project Restart as well. You know, they weren't the force they were before it, and and I think that's that's what did it for them. They just struggled. They they didn't have the depth basically that, that City had, and City would always find that form. United just did well enough against the you know certainly against the smaller teams. They picked up points where. Liverpool and City were dropping them and that's what kept them in contention for there or thereabouts for, for quite a long time which you know is a base of what you want your club to be doing but they were reliant a lot on Fernandes and <laughs> penalties and the irony of uh, what happened in the Europa League <laughs> final after being so reliant on them all year but uh, yeah you know I, I think you've got to look at that certainly in terms of the league as a, as a decent season for United. However, yeah, you know, yeah. if you're a United fan, you want to see improvement on that next year. I don't think you'd be expecting them to win the league quite yet. They've got a lot of pieces to get in place to, to get to City's level and, and Liverpool's level again, but they've got to make moves towards it. And that, that's what you do want to be seeing uh, as a 
uh, as a United fan, I mean, Chelsea is a strange, strange old season for Chelsea. You know, I don't don't, don't know where you'd start with that. It, it's I mean, just. <laughs> I'm picking that is a is a difficult one because they were both flying under Lampard at one point and then crap under Lampard and then the sacking was like inevitable. They were ninth uh, or something when he was sacked, wasn't they, weren't they? they so they, they were ninth when he was sacked, but they were also at one point the highest of all the big teams because not only did City, I think you said they were twelfth, thirteenth at one point, Arsenal were fifteenth at one point, United were fifteenth at one point, Liverpool were bottom half at one point. So when Chelsea were flying, they looked like well if they could just hold this together. Everyone else will be bad enough that Frank Lampard will guide Chelsea to the league. And then obviously um, Spurs went and did a number on them. And that was basically the end of that. And then they, as you say, ninth when he gets sacked. And then Thomas Tuchel comes in and doesn't lose a game for about 15 years. Yeah, it was. A, a, and then they go and lose the, the the FA Cup final. I mean, how, how on earth you go around about making sense of this year for Chelsea? I've got no idea. I think they are really well positioned for next year, though. I mean, I think Tuchel is going to very much, I think they will be the main contenders for Chelsea next season, so for, for City next season, um, because Klopp uh, has got to do a hard rebuild of Liverpool. I think at least two of that front three probably are going to go. And, you know, there's no guarantee that Van Dijk will be the same player after the injury. Henderson increasingly is so influential in that team, but, but again, gets a lot of injury problems. So it's going to be interesting to see what Klopp does. Now, when he did, when he was at Dortmund, he did manage to halfway through that project when he lost Goetze, um and he lost Lewandowski um, and he lost some of the sort of original, I guess, stalwarts of the team as well in midfield and, and, and further up further at the back and he did you know buy it he bought Aubameyang he, he bought Mkhitaryan um you know he he kind of he he was the one that bought um Pulisic and you know he did create a second Dortmund side they weren't as good as the the first one that he built but he nevertheless did do uh, a good rebuild on them and so that's what's ahead of him I think Tuchel has got all the stuff in place plus the usual Abramovich money to spend in the summer um I think with the squad they've got now Chelsea with a full season under Tuchel can challenge Guardiola. It's it's going to be those, you know, what else are Chelsea going to add to what they've already got? And I think they'll end up being very, very much in with the shell next season. Um, so, yeah, strange season in the sense that Lampard, who was obviously brought in to manage a difficult transition between a, a few a few managers that, that didn't quite work out, like the Sari ball thing, just didn't really take in in West London for whatever reason. And, you know, the money, Abramovich seems to have stepped away and he wasn't that bothered. And, and Lampard has to play all the youth players, which, you know, is good PR, etc. And then he does get the money, he spends it, and it never really looked like Lampard knew what he was doing with those shiny new toys. He didn't really know what he was doing with them. And I think that what you saw under Tuchel is that he took those moving parts, you know, and he, he, he put them in a system you know on a, a sort of a it was a, a three it was kind of a three four two one or a sometimes a, a five three two and and he it, it, he had a plan and it was clear that he had a plan and, and and they played very well in the champions league and he got the best out of started to get the best out of habits towards the end of the season you know glimmers from Werner still not in his red bull form yet and you know and, and peter sick when he wasn't injured looked again like a really good footballer. So yeah, I think I think the ingredients are there for Tuchel for next season. So I think that's quite that's quite ominous for United and Liverpool actually. 
Um, I think United, I know Neville went and said if they buy Kane and Varane, then United will win the league. I don't believe that to be true for a minute. I think as well, you know, you've got to look at Chelsea's falling away of the season uh, as a consequence of them, you know, outperforming in the uh, Champions League as well. It happens to a lot of teams. You know, they weren't really in contention for the title. So it's understandable that they fell off a little bit. I know there's some frustrations. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the problem with Chelsea, though, always going to be, certainly for a little while, is the, the moment you start to see Chelsea going through a bad run of games, is you're, you're immediately going to start thinking, as the manager lost the dressing room, because it's Chelsea. And that seems to be what happens over and over and over again. You know, they get there, they're challenging, they can win a title, and then it just suddenly, it, it can fall apart like that. And it's happened to Chelsea so many times in recent years that it, it's it's quite bizarre, really. But, yeah, you know, it, it's there's ingredients there. I think Werner's got to, he's got to hit consistent form quickly or he's got to be sidelined if Chelsea are going to go and seriously challenge City next year. Because, you know, a Werner on form could be the catalyst to do that. However, a Werner who, who's played like this year where, you know, a lot of the time it just seems like a waste of space. It's, you're, you're not going to challenge the top team if you're carrying a player like that with Chelsea I think there's there's two options for next year isn't there they either challenge and they're up there with with City and maybe or maybe not Liverpool depending on how that goes or they explode because Tuchel's one of these characters that if it goes wrong it's going to go badly wrong and blow up and we've seen that in the past Uh, just before we move on we can do this as one word answers if you like is this season a success for Chelsea, fourth place in the Champions League final, regardless of the result against Man City? Or do they need to win the Champions League for this to be a success? Given the circumstances of when Tuchel took over, I think this season is a success, whatever happens. If you look at it in terms of the money spent, then you have to say, no, it's not a success. But relative to what the situation was when they made that change, you'd have to say it was a success. But, you know, what Tuchel has shown in all those games against City is that actually kind of seems to have Guardiola's number. So it's going to be a really interesting game. Like, tactically, it's going to be fascinating. So, you know, I am quite looking forward to it. I hope it doesn't end up being, you know, dreary. But actually, I think you've got two managers that are going to really go out, go to town when it comes to trying to outthink each other. I say it's a success for Tuchel. It's probably not a success for Chelsea if you look at where they were at the start of the year. But, you know, look at where they were when Lampard went. Yeah, you know, they've. it's a great recovery for Chelsea as a team. You know, if you look at it just from Tuchel's point of view, it, it's a success. But again, you've got to build on that. OK, so we'll move on then at this point. We've got two other sides that finished above uh, above Spurs and Arsenal. So, so we'll move on to them. Uh, thoughts on... Your FA Cup winners, Leicester City, and possibly the surprise package of the season, West Ham United, who really opening day looked like contenders for a relegation and end up finishing sixth. Uh, vindication for David Moyes, perhaps? Always a good manager, wasn't he? I mean, you know, and actually did a good job at West Ham when he, you know, when he was with them before. And, you know, for whatever reason, he didn't stay on. He, he kept them up and then and then he went. And actually bringing him back, like, yeah, he's, he's really... Yeah, he's really uh, he's really done a tremendous job, and I think he's identified some really good players uh, to bring in. You know, Suchek, absolute revelation. 
Um, Lingard inspired loan signing. Jared Bowen, terrific, terrific footballer. Unlucky not to, to get some England recognition, really. And, uh, you know, Antonio kind of, you know, in now permanently seemingly a centre forward. And then you've kind of got, you know, the young players that have kind of come through West Ham's systems, you know, so so the Zeklin Rice is the world. So it's it's a um it's a good setup they've got there. Very much the surprise package, absolutely, as you say, but a very well deserved um place in the Europa League. I say well deserved, I'm not sure if that's ever well deserved. Yeah, I mean great great season for them, you know. it's far beyond expectations and without a doubt the surprise package of the season and like they've they've topped Arsenal and Spurs. Not far off from top in Chelsea as well. Almost got that that elusive number one London club spot. And when you consider how far ahead of the game Chelsea, Spurs and Arsenal should be, or have historically been in recent years there, uh, one hell of an achievement for, for Moyes, who's, uh, you know, rolling back to those, those Everton years before he took that, that, that cursed role uh, of Sir Alex's seat. Yeah, I think, oh, yeah. I think that I was just going to say I think that's always going to be the cursed seat, wasn't it? It was like following Matt Busby when I, I forget who it was. It was it was another case where the the manager chose his successor, and it was always going to to be cursed. And it was going to be several managers down the line who actually had a chance with Man United. I think you hire managers of the caliber of Van Hal and Mourinho, and they've still not been able to put it right. I think that shows you just how much someone like Moyes was going to be up against, especially when you can always throw where well, you're just a mid-table manager at him. That accusation was going to weigh quite heavily and proven top managers failing since kind of defeats that argument to a degree, but no one was going to know that until you sacked David Moyes and hired a Louis Van Gaal. So, so yeah, I guess the other ones and probably look more like getting into the top four for much of the season and, and obviously took the FA Cup for the first time in their history, which is a great story, was, was Leicester City. Managed to outspurs Spurs, which is quite something. Two years in a row, managed to outspurs Spurs. You know, to, to I mean, I guess you know, to 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 paraphrase, to lose top four once on the last day of a season um, is uh, is careless. To do it twice, <laughs> like I mean, yeah. they they had it in their own hands, especially after Chelsea messed up in that midweek game. Um, and you have to say, like, you would have fancied them at home against against Spurs. And and they looked in the first half like they weren't going to have any trouble at all. And they just fell to pieces. Like as soon as, you know, as soon as the equaliser went in, they just they just seemed to fold. Very strange game of football. I hadn't watched very much football since the Super League thing. I had to really take a step back and, and palate cleanse. But I, I watched that full game. And odd, odd game of football. Spurs really had barely anything to play for. Um, except pride and maybe sending Harry Kane in his way with a win. Um, and Leicester had everything to play for, but their heads dropped. Like they, no doubt about it. They just, they just seemed to give up. Um, it's been a long season for them, though, has it? Uh, you know, they, they've not got the, you know, resources of the, the clubs around them. Not got the, the, the level of players and the squads around them. You know, it, it must have taken a lot for them to get get to that FA Cup final, win it, stay in contention a lot of the year. You know. They were probably mentally exhausted and having such a high the week before. You've seen it a million times, haven't you? You know, they just just couldn't turn it back on. I guess the strange thing is that they they were riding that wave in, in the game and it, it just went away from them. 
obviously just didn't have an answer at the end. And that's probably when that tiredness starts to creep in, you know, of a long season and outperforming your your talent as they regularly do. I have to say, Brendan Rodgers has once again, though, shown himself to be a really good football manager. And I'd really like to see him, after Klopp, get another go at that Liverpool job. does feel like he's got unfinished business there. Or at least at another capital letters big club, you know. Um, maybe the United job might be something that comes his way in the future. Um, although, you know, he wouldn't endear it much to people on Merseyside, I must say. But, but, no, but you know, he, if he, he wants it at this point, you know, if he wants it, he's once bitten, twice shy, maybe with those big jobs. Uh, he's done a, such a <laughs> such a good job, you know, at Celtic and now, and now at Leicester. I mean, granted, Celtic's not necessarily the hardest um no. You know, the hardest job in the world. But but nevertheless, like he, he had them scoring, you know, record breaking points titles and things. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's really shown himself to be a great football manager and, and great Leicester, you know, ever since, you know, Kanto and Mara's great scouting. You know, they they really have a, a great eye for a, for, for a player and the squad depth is much better for them now as, as, as well. You know, they lost Madison for last for large parts of that season and it didn't really seem to affect them. You know, Vardy stopped scoring goals halfway through the season. Again, they just, you know, Ian Acho hit form and just started smashing them in like he looked like he would when he first broke through at City. So, I mean, great season for them, as Lineker said. Actually, for people of, of our age and upwards, actually, you'd prefer to win an FA Cup than finish fourth. Um, and, and probably a lot of Leicester fans do feel that way, you know, mm. that actually... Yeah. As a season where you finish fifth and win the FA Cup is a, is a, is a tremendous success, rather than going into the Champions League preliminary qualifiers and slogging away through that. And if you don't get through that, you've got to go into the Europa League. And you know, if you oh, if you drop out the group stage of the Champions League, you're in the Europa League, and it's like oh. Whereas actually, they'll they shouldn't have to do too much qualifying in the Europa League. You wouldn't think. If there's two things I've seen Arsenal do a lot in recent years, it's win FA Cups and finish fourth, and I'd take the cup every time. Yeah, I think the other thing to to remember is that although Leicester are, in some ways, a bigger side than we give them credit for now, because they are actually quite rich, there's a big investment in that club, they act with a muscle that we don't always recognise, and we still sort of think of plucky little Leicester, but... That doesn't change the relationship with the supporters of that club and the fact that this is a fairly recent thing. And they're not fashionable still. So the vast majority of their fans will have been with them through you know, that time that they spent not that long ago in League One. And ultimately, you know, they've never won the FA Cup. So, of course, that's going to be a massive deal for them. And you, you can't help but but cheer for them in that that one-off game against City. It's a little bit different when it comes to the league, and maybe we shouldn't be giving them a a free pass when it comes to to bottling Champions League qualification. But as a one-off Wembley showpiece to win an actual honour, you know, it's always great to see somebody else put their name on the trophy for the first time, isn't it? And with a, you know, absolutely, absolutely brilliant goal as well. Yes. yes. A a goal fit to grace a cup final. It's been a while since we could say that. Worthy of winning any cup final uh, at any point. You know um, what it came to, what came to mind was the uh, the last of my kind of I mean a weird thing for a Spurs fan to say, but you know like the uh, the Ray Parler screamer <laughs> 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 or like the Gerard the Gerard one in the 2006 FA Cup final against West Ham. Di Matteo. Yeah. I mean yeah, the Gerard. Matteo, yeah. 
The Jared one is the last really great game I can remember as an FA Cup oh, fight. What a, what a game. Although that Arsenal Hull game was like absolutely ridiculous, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I don't remember it that that well. It was in a bit of a kind of a stuff football kind of phase for me. Just to, to finish on, on Leicester quickly, um, it's wonderfully fitting that Kasper Schmeichel became the hero that day, other than the goal scorer, of course, but Kasper Schmeichel with those two amazing saves because he was, uh, once again, a league ever present for them. And I remember watching Kasper Schmeichel when he'd been let go from Man City and he was playing for Notts County before he, he kind of worked his way back up. And uh, I just think he's a somewhat underappreciated pro in some senses. I just wanted to, to mention how great he's been for Leicester all these years now. Yeah, I think at this point he's not. He's been that cornerstone of, you know, the FA Cup win, the league win now. You know, I think, I, I think he's there as certainly one of the top goalkeepers in in the league and you know maybe should be yeah I, I i guess i see what you're saying maybe could be appreciated a bit higher you know mm. when when you look at big teams who, who have struggled with keepers this year alone you mm. do have to wonder if a if a schmeichel between the sticks would be uh would be a game changer for them but yeah, again you know you just I don't have think to think i just gonna say i don't think leicester are selling no, I, I I wouldn't think uh, they they would in general. Although you know, if the right money ever came along, I guess you're always going to sell at the right price. Of course, yeah. And a lot of it's about player power these days. Would, would he want to? Is he happy where he is? If if a big team did start sniffing around. Right. Um. There's a big cluster of sides just finishing the middle of the, of the pack this year, and they're all big clubs in their own way. So. Let's talk through, because although the top of the leagues are where the, most of the really interesting stuff happens, there's a lot of stories when we start to look at ninth place Leeds United, 10th Everton, 11th Aston Villa, 12th in the end Newcastle United, and 13th Wolverhampton Wanderers. So, I mean, there's plenty to talk about there, but we haven't got time to really go into it in all in, in great detail. But Leeds, yeah. I think, were the breath of fresh air in the league. And I think everyone knew they would be playing Bielsa Ball. Is, I mean, I remember loving the chili side that he that he built i'd love to do a four at the back on that chili side absolutely adored them and, and they played like absolute maniacs you know and, and seeing leeds do exactly the same thing and he just he just gets like amazing results like the season that bamford had that luke ailing had you know they they were just such a pleasure to watch you know in that first game of the season and they're playing the defending champions and they end up playing this basketball game <laughs> just goes back and forth and showed no respect to Liverpool whatsoever. Uh, you know, in some ways it was as good as the season got full stop that first day of the season, you know, against Liverpool. Like it was the best game I saw all, all, all year, I think. Yeah, just just a, a, an absolute breath of fresh air. I, I, you know, can't wait to, uh, to to see if they can kick on, you know, if they if they get a bit of, a bit of financial stability from being in the Premier League another year. Like, yeah. Let's let's go. Let's see what they can do. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see you. You you, you want to see Leeds? Yeah? I'm not sure you want to see them playing nice football. You want to see them booting people so you can say, <laughs> "Oh, fuck off, Leeds." But yeah, it, it's where they belong. You know, it's where Villa belong. Again, there are teams that just need to be there, and to see them comfortably, comfortably stay in the league, hit hit mid table finish, and you know, something to build on. You know. Uh, some of these clubs are going to fall away. Some of them are going to get better. It's the nature of the game, but you, you want to see them there or thereabouts all the time, even if they're not quite where they 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 were at their absolute peak. You don't want to, you don't want to see teams like that 
in relegation or not not in the league anymore. Yeah, um, I think the the Leeds kind of thing. I don't think it's going to run its course in any great sense in terms of like oh I think they're going to go down or anything like that. I think that's ludicrous. But I, I do think that ninth was a little bit of an overachievement in some senses and. I wouldn't be surprised if they had a little bit of a solid campaign next year because they were a bit, although they were wonderful entertainment at times, they were also a bit inconsistent. And that was why there was a lot of, uh, at certain points in the season, up, not uproar, that's the wrong word, but slightly kind of like Mickey taking from some other fans of, you know, you, you pray, there's all this praise for Bielsa and yet they've just lost 4-1. It's how wonderfully entertaining they are. Well, you still lost 4-1 and and that's a little short-sighted because they were a breath of fresh air and it is actually nice to see a promoted side have a go and they did finish ninth which means it clearly worked fine but i wouldn't be surprised if it was okay 14th 15th next year just kind of thing and then maybe we'll see where they go because it's not that common that a promoted side comes in overachieves by finishing above some more established sides and then carries on going It, it very rarely works like that and there are a lot of other teams in the equation, but they were great. And to tell you the truth, I mean, they finished with 59 points, which in most seasons would have been enough to get them European football. That's amazing. Absolutely. I mean, what do, what do you make of Villa then, Pete? Because, I mean, it, it's interesting because I see a lot of disquiet for, from Villa fans about the way that the end of the season went. And yet such a comfortable finish miles away from any relegation trouble especially compared to last year a great consolidation season I mean do you think the Villa faithful are being a little bit unrealistic do you think the early season form boosted hopes too much like what do you put that down to it's a little bit that the early season form did kind of uh, inflate expectations a bit but I think what it actually is when you really embed yourself in deep in that is that the malcontents are louder than the the bulk of the fans. The vast majority of the people that I interact with in that Villa online community are all very much of the, you know what, 11th place is a hell of a lot better than 17th where you only have to stay up because you've pulled a rabbit out of the hat. And that's what we did at the end of the, you know, the COVID reset. You know, we were on the way down. I think everybody looks at that and sees the way that was going Bournemouth should have stayed up and not us if the the season had not been suspended you know that was the way that was going so to finish 11th 55 points we've had five better seasons in the last 21 years you know that's a good year by any any standards three of those years are are consecutive under Martin O'Neill you know so two other seasons outside of that one patch we've outperformed this year so 11th, we're unlucky to finish 11th with 55 points. You know, not as unlucky as Leeds to miss out on, on Europe with 59. But but still, the, the point is 55 points would normally get you a 7th, 8th quite comfortably. What do I make of us? Um, I'm going to go against the conventional wisdom that, oh, if only Grealish hadn't got injured because we were on the way down when he got hurt. We'd had a couple of rough games before that. We were fortunate that, Early in the season, Barkley was giving us another outlet. And once he stopped playing and the side run into that winter where you get the heavy legs and the the fixture congestion, all that kind of stuff, and our own COVID outbreak at the training ground, those three things all kind of combined to knock the form quite dramatically. So we went from comfortable in mid-December, you know, we were comfortable at Christmas, 
uh, it was a bit of a struggle in the second half of the season, but we're also a side that finished 17th, luckily, the year before. We bought well. Emi Martinez was a great buy. Burton Traore looks like he was going to be a good buy. He does weird things, but they seem to end in goals. Watkins was a sensational buy. Yeah, I think the whole point really was that this year needed to be safe, mid-table consolidation. And we did that. And, you know, just because we beat Liverpool 7-2 earlier in the season, that doesn't really change the goal of the year. Yes, a few people got carried away. And, and that's really it. Every, the vast majority of people are, are, reacted to the fact, OK, well, we're still 11th. That's fine. We've got good owners. They're going to put money in and we'll go again next year. So Everton, <laughs> Everton, they looked under Ancelotti at the beginning of the season. You know, like they were really going places. You know, Calvert-Lewin was firing in the goals. James rolling back the years and looking like he, you know, he was remembering how to play football after all those years on the bench at Madrid. And it looked like Ancelotti really had them playing. And in the end, they just, they ran out of steam, didn't they, completely? going to be interesting to see them next season because you do think, you know, Ancelotti does, you know, does always you know have a way of playing and they do always... Uh, they always look like, you know, a very cultured team, you know, a bit more investment. Aren't they meant to be moving to a new ground soon as well? Uh, That's a couple of years away, yeah. Yeah, so, but they've, they've certainly got, you know, the makings of, of sort of, again, bringing Everton into that, you know, into that kind of, uh, that, that top six world. They just need a couple of things to fall for them and they're kind of, they're kind of in there. They did just run out of steam, didn't they? Shall I run the, the local theory by you, and you see what you guys think, and then we'll probably move on to, to Newcastle. But the, the theory up here is that Hamas is a wonderful player, but he's a bit of a luxury. So once teams worked out how to stop him in that free role and you had to fit him into a system, there wasn't really an answer. What do you guys make of that as an idea? Doesn't, doesn't, that I think sounds fair to me. You know, I, I think he, he is that type of player, you know, who... He was struggling, you know, he, he's had his moments over the years. It looked like Ancelotti had brought him back in. That level of talent, you live with it or or, or you don't, you know. You, if you're Everton and, and, and you want that one special player in your team that can change a game for you, you've got to accept that, you know, he's not he's not going to win many tackles with his, if he's not creating the magic. So, you know, I think you can afford one of those. A lot of teams can. You, you've got to have a lot of hard workers in around him, though. So it's whether you're you're willing to build your team around that player. I mean, yeah, it's, it's it was interesting because at the beginning of the season they were kind of playing Hammers on the left side of four four two, and just you know letting him cut inside and use his quality. Um, I also think you know Calvert Lewin couldn't really sustain that level of uh, of play post Christmas. He kind of dry, it dried up a little bit for him, didn't it? I don't think their defence is the best. Like Michael Keane is a, a solid player. Seamus Coleman's been a great pro. But, but, you know, it's kind of, they do lack for quality in a few key areas. Most of the midfield players are sort of silky ball players, aren't they? And they, they've got a lot of those. It's kind of, it's a little bit of an unbalanced squad, I think. Okay, so the only side we've got left, and I really wish we had Joe here for this because I'm, I'm sure we'd get a lot of insight from him, but Newcastle, who looked like they were going to get sucked into a relegation battle at one point, finished 12th. And they <laughs> uh, free scoring towards the end of the year, which 
was bizarre when you consider they barely looked like they could buy a goal in the winter. They were the worst team probably to watch. I don't want to use hyperbole too much, but ever. (laughs) I mean, Sheffield United were also in the league this year. So, I mean, and they were not good. There was one game. I forget who it it was. It was Newcastle and and another team. Might have been Burnley. It was dire. Like, seriously awful. You know, somebody did that meme, you know, the marriage story meme, like that every day I wake up, you know, and sort of uh, Adam Driver banging on the wall. And then the caption says, you know, the sort of the subtitle is it says crying. But someone had changed it to every weekend I have to wake up and watch Steve Bruce's Newcastle crying. I'm just thinking that that might be the Sheffield United game because it was one nil with a Sheffield United penalty in the second half being the only goal. And I. I seem to remember watching that and just thinking, God, Newcastle are bad, aren't they? <laughs> I guess it's like that again. Newcastle were reliant on a couple of flair players. That you know, when when Sam Maxman came back, they looked like a different team. Like Joe Willock. I mean, I mean, Maz was saying around about like should Arsenal have kept him. I think it's more the case that this is a bit like when you send a player on loan and, they, and you actually work out that they're good. <laughs> you know, and, and maybe he wouldn't have got the run of games at Arsenal to, to determine that. Although they did just stick Smith Rowe in the team and. Swiftly discovered that he was good, I suppose. But yeah, so they, they suddenly just, I guess they just pulled away. And you do find that, don't you, that teams will just pull away when you don't expect them to. They'll just hit some form and they might, I don't know, it depends on the fixture list falls. Like whenever teams look really bad, it's often because they've played a lot of good teams in a row and then they get a run of favourable fixtures and they pull away. And, you know, let's be fair, Steve Bruce isn't anything like as bad a manager as he's made out to be either. No, he had a, a bad run at, at Villa there, and he still made the playoffs, which is is kind of, you know, that's that's a respectable finish because as we all know, the championship is an absolute madhouse. Uh, he mainly lost his job at Villa, and you know, with all due respect to a lot of fans' feelings about him and and all that, he mainly lost his job at Villa because I think that bereavement knocked him a lot harder than people now recognise. You know, he lost his parents in very short space of time, and he. Yeah, for a year or so after that, at both Villa and Newcastle, he wasn't the same manager that he had been. Yeah, you know, Hull or wherever it was, they were talking about him as a potential England manager, and now that wasn't the right call. I think we can all agree on that. And you know, Southgate has proven that he would have been a better choice for England manager than Steve Bruce. But at the same time, you know, we treated him a little bit badly towards the end there. Although I'm obviously thrilled with the the switch to Dean Smith, and um, yeah, Newcastle were piling in on him, and I think a 12th place finish, which is their best for about four or five years I, th- I think that proves that yeah he's um maybe not as bad as they were suggesting although some of the football during that worst spell yeah. maybe was <laughs> and, and I think you know it's fair to say that Newcastle fans you know certain clubs Newcastle Spurs certainly trying to think of another but you know that the, they do demand you know demand attacking football Liverpool is another that's why they didn't get on with Roy Hodgson it's like there's a certain there's a certain culture around the club that's been built up into mythology over it I mean United under Van Gaal was another good example of that they just yeah couldn't couldn't face the way that that he, that he set the team up and, and that's why Newcastle fans object to Steve Bruce so much and why you know that one good season under Pardew everything was kind of rosy because they had all these you know, cheap French players they'd bought that turned out to be good and they they look like an exciting team. Whereas now it's like, all right, you finished 12th, but you know that probably next season will be cut from a similar cloth. They'll struggle for a time, look really bad, and they'll probably pull out trouble at the end. And I, 
that's difficult probably for a Newcastle fan that grew up on, you know, on Keegan or Bobby Robson to stomach. So, yeah, I, I, I can understand why they do get why they do get upset. But also, you know, you have to recognise that that club is, again, rotten from the bot, you know, from the top down, isn't it? So, mm, yeah. you know, a lot more things ha- need to happen for, you know, for Newcastle fans to, to, to get what they want. I mean, in a way, Newcastle is the worst possible club for the Mike Ashley situation to take place at because that desire to play attacking football or, or, or I'm not even sure it's attacking football. It's for you to fit the club in whatever weird conception that that is, has been established there even before the Kevin Keegan and Ozzy Ardiles reigns. I mean, this goes back to the 70s and the 80s. So, so in a weird way, it couldn't happen anywhere worse for there to be okay well we just need to survive and keep the money coming in and that it's the worst possible place for it to be taking place because they're not going to be happy and they're not going to get their way and yeah. that's a, and that's an end to it <laughs> i think you know if, you, if you're a newcastle fan you've just got to hope you survive and enjoy saint sam maximus as much as possible you know yeah that's, yeah. Uh, that's all you've got to do <laughs> still, still, still the best yeah the best mercism of the year that was wasn't it yeah. Uh, he, he is gold, isn't he? On the pitch, on Twitter, everywhere, he's fantastic. <laughs> the There's a lot that, of. Go I was thinking about the fact that he did, you know, the Shawn Michaels kip up and uh, <laughs> you know, kind of comeback routine after being like kicked out of play. It's like amazing. Yeah, I was just going to say, there's already talk of, of us uh, trying to buy him, and he's got a popular, you know, topic of conjecture in, on Villa Twitter, which won't endear us to Newcastle fans at all, I know. But that's the one, the one worry they have is the Tim, and uh, I think the other lad I really liked that they have is, is it Almiron? Um, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of really good players in that side that if they lose them, they will suddenly look a little bit more vulnerable. Um, yeah, it's it goes back to that old thing of you know what the Newcastle fans want was always a question that was coming up and they would ask it kind of ironically, you know, I don't think anyone ever thought they wanted Champions League football, but what they want is often a little bit hard for anybody outside that club to, to really understand that it's not as broad as they want winning football. They want good football. It's kind of a, as I say, it's they want your face to fit in a weird kind of a way. It, it's, even, the, it's the, it's the Fox Mulder thing. You know, I want to believe yeah, <laughs> yeah, they just yeah. want to believe, you know, like, yeah. and whatever it is that makes them believe in something. So, yeah, it's, I mean, that's often the case, at, you know, passionately supported clubs. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Newcastle fans won't thank me for saying it, but watching Sunderland Side Die on, on Netflix, like, just seeing the, the passion for that club and the local community and just, you know, the, the, the sheer despair as they kind of, you know, went from, you know, laughing stock to laughing stock, tumbling down the leagues with this great white elephant of a Premier League stadium playing dreary football in League One. It was just, uh, it just kind of shows you the the way that fans see their club sometimes and the the kind of disconnect with how the owners see the club. Mm. I think the one difference I've always noticed between Sunderland and Newcastle is the only real difference I can really see because they're both wonderfully well supported. And, you know, the fans will go everywhere and they're brilliant fans, you know, in, in many, many ways. The one difference is that Sunderland have that hope with no degree of expectation. And it doesn't matter where Newcastle finish, there seems to be that expectation. And that's what kills them. Uh, anyway, uh, we're kind of going towards the bottom of the league. I don't know that there's going to be uh, too many thoughts on what's left. Uh, Wolves were the, the best of what 
came after that. We had the last season at Crystal Palace for Roy Hodgson. Southampton possibly disappointed in, in 15th place with 43. Then Brighton and Burnley survive for another year, and then we'll deal with the bottom three in a moment. But is there any real plus points, or is there anything to 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 be kind of like thinking about those those cluster of clubs that were just outside the bottom three with any kind of positive things, or is it just a case of they survived, we move on to next year? I mean, I live in Brighton, so surrounded by a, a, a lot of Brighton fans, know a lot of Brighton fans, and, and they love Graham Potter. They're really excited for what comes next, you know, and, you know, they're very loyal to Chris Houston as well. I mean, I, I guess that's one thing about Brighton fans is they're not they're not entitled. Like, you know, they understand that, that they're a smaller club in the Premier League and that Houston did a good job for them while he was there, but also they understood the, the move towards somebody that was a bit more progressive in, in the way that Potter is. And actually, if you think if Brighton had a centre forward that could finish, they probably finished 10th because they were in so many games. Um, and there was that ridiculous game. I think it was against Fulham. I can't remember, but it might be against Fulham. And they missed about 20 clear chances. Like Mope, you know, had eight clear chances or something and missed them all. They had United on the ropes um, and United managed to Fergie time their way out of that one. So, you know, they played against City and... Um, Guardiola was saying that Graham Potter's the best English manager and I don't know if he's massively far wrong so yeah so I I think with the resources they have I think you know Brighton potentially could you know could have done even better if they had better players up front but they stuck to their philosophy admirably so and um could could well kick on I mean survival is always going to be the uh, the aim for them but they are looking at it in a long-term way as, as kind of, you know, as Bournemouth did um, under Eddie Howe as well before that. Um, so, yeah, so so I think, you know, they've got a lot of positives to take away. Wolves were just killed by the fact that they lost Jimenez and they sold Jota and all the goals go away. And without that sprinkling of stardust, they were just a workman-like team. And Nuno kind of seemed to, to lose the will to live a little bit towards the end. Southampton... They just blow hot and cold, don't they? Like, they go through great patches of form. And I think it's because they've got a small squad and Hassan Hurtle has them pressing like mad people and they don't really have the squad to compensate for it when people get injured. Yeah, so that'd be my thoughts on that little cluster, I guess. Yeah, I don't really have any thoughts on any of them. I hope Mope takes bloody Brighton down, though, next year. (laughs) So in that case, then, if I, I guess there is some questions to ask, I mean, if we are changing managers at, at Wolves and Palace, then, as you say, Nuno lost the will to live and he's not coming back for next season. And Hodgson, I, I don't know if he if that was a retirement speech, but at that age, it's got to be close to one, right? Um, yeah, I think I think he's done as a manager. I think he said he'd be open to other projects, whether he could be tempted into a kind of director of football role or, or, or something of that sort, or you know, a Wenger-esque role working for FIFA or UEFA. He could probably he'd probably do something like that, wouldn't he? But mm. I don't think he'll be back as a manager. Mm. I guess that what that means is that there are a couple of sides whose position is going to be a little bit uncertain next year. And that's maybe an opportunity for someone like Norwich coming up to actually survive for once. All right. I mean, we know Burnley. Uh, we didn't mention them there. We know that they are kind of what they are under under Deitch. And that's probably going to continue. And they're probably going to get around 40 points next year. And it'll like, be a case of what, what everybody else owners, gets. Though. It could be interesting. OK. They got some money. American owners. Yeah. Do we think Sean Dykes wants money to spend? <laughs> yeah. Or is 
interesting. He spent like 20 minutes on Chris Wood, didn't he? Like, I mean, yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I, I think it'll be interesting because when the new owners came in, they didn't do the usual American owner thing. They said, right, we respect the culture of this club. We respect Sean Dyche. Like, you know, we're just going to build these things slowly. So they're making all the right noises. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what happens over there and if, you know, if there's actually potential for them to, to get back into the top half. But, but you know, if they make a load of signings, I'll be surprised. But at the same time, I think they've got a bit more wherewithal than they did before. So just to wrap up, is there anything to say really about the bottom three? Or is that just kind of like, uh, because... I, uh, Fulham were point, fun, weren't they? I think. They did look like they could have mounted a, a challenge at one point, And yet they ended up only five points better off than Sheffield United, who for a long spell looked like one of the worst sides we'd ever seen. So I don't know how to reconcile the whole thing. I mean, Fulham is just mismanaged at board level, isn't it? Yeah. Like, imagine, you know, sort of Tony Khan doing his whole, I am chief exec, chief scout. I'll go into the dressing room and tell Scott Parker what team to pick. Like, he's gone full Abramovich on it, which is bizarre. And I think if you talk to Fulham fans, you know, their frustration is always they get made to look stupid by their American ownership. You know, that whole thing where... You know, he went on Twitter talking about, oh, I wanted to buy a new centre-back, but I couldn't find any. And stuff like, It's just embarrassing. Yeah. Like, yeah. when your owners make you look stupid like that by being very publicly, oh, yeah, I make all the decisions about these crap players that I put on the pitch and that Scott Parker has to do something with. Uh, <laughs> so Scott Parker, I thought, came out of the season with a lot of credit. I thought he looked a bit out of his depth early on, but actually had them playing some good stuff towards the end. Um, mm. So I, I hope he gets to keep his job and, and, and have a go at bringing them back up because they were playing the right way. If he develops properly as a manager, I wouldn't mind seeing him back at the lane one day. Yeah, so they were at least a, a, a bit of positive. As you say, Sheffield United went from having a, a real fairy tale season to it's like the old the old Ipswich nightmare, isn't it? Like you mm. uh, you have that top half finish and the next season you're crap. The North London derby shouldn't have that good hair on managers like Arteta versus Parker would be that's too much <laughs> can't can't be dealing with that you, you think it should be little... George Graham versus Jerry Francis right Jerry Francis yeah exactly that, that that's more like it <laughs> or, so, or like old the, um, perm finger oh yeah yeah of course yeah. perm finger and like mullet uh Klinsman. that that'd oh, be a good or, manager wow or uh <laughs> ponytail Pochettino when he was playing for PSG. Did he have the po- <laughs> did he have the ponytail playing for Argentina or am I imagining that? Yeah he did. He had it he had it. he only cut it off when he became a manager I think. Right. So uh yeah Fulham I mean as you say they Parker was pulling up trees there all things considered they had a handful of good players but they were cut off at the knees at the boardroom level. Tony Khan has the same strategy for communicating with football fans as wrestling fans only football fans are a lot less forgiving. What about West Brom in the middle there? Because we touched on Sheffield United, and that's a mess. I don't think we're going to overly kind of rub their faces in it that they were shite for six months and then they sacked the manager. It really had very little to do with him, I don't think. But West Brom, they had this weird flirtation with relevance when Sam Allardyce came in, but ultimately it didn't amount to anything. I I think it... I wish promoted teams wouldn't do this because you take Billich, you know, completely different philosophy, wanted to play football replace him with Allardyce to try and stay up and then you don't and then you got to start over again you know I'd rather go down with Billich 
you know, do what Norwich did. Norwich went down, like they played their way in the Premier League. It didn't quite have enough money to, to stay, but they won some friends. They went down, they romped their way to the championship, which is by no means easy to do. And it looks like they'll come up and give it a good go again. And really, like West Brom, they are a yo-yo team. Everybody knows that. Is it worth selling your soul, Sam Allardyce, for the tiniest chance that he might shithouse your way to survival? I don't think it's worth it. They never moved out of 19th. That's worth adding. I mean, they were 19th after about 12 games and they were 19th through the rest of the season, no matter how many extra points they won. So, I mean, partly that's because Fulham were the only side who really looked like they might stay up over any length of time in that bottom three. But it also testifies to the fact that whatever run they could put together, you know, three undefeated, I think, was as good as it got. You know, that's not enough, is it really? No, no, not at all. And, and you know, they just I, I just don't really understand the logic in completely ripping up your your strategy halfway through the season. I know that, you know, it's worked to a a degree in the past teams have brought in a a firefighter and stayed up. But I mean, I think what history shows you is it's often not worth the cost. Sunderland managed to stay in the Premier League by the skin of their teeth a couple of years going. And then then when they went, that was it. They just plummeted because they've been putting off the inevitable for so long that what was left was just rotten. And that's, I think, the danger that you face by constantly trying to do everything you possibly can to stay in that division rather than, OK, we'll, we'll go down, but we'll we'll think about doing this properly and we'll come back up stronger, which is really how you should look at it. You know, it's that relegation isn't a disaster. You get the parachute payments, you know, it's as long as you can come up within a couple of years. It's fine. I think if you don't come up in those first two years, yes, then it becomes very, very tough. But, you know, it's like that's the problem with the Premier League model, though, isn't it? It's it it, it places everything, you know, survival in that league is better than success in the league below. And, mm. and that's why it, it's problematic, as we said, when we were talking about the Super League. Yeah, it's the balance between sport and business at the end of the day, isn't it? I mean, this makes for wonderful telly when everyone's desperate to stay up, but I'm not sure it's good for the game uh, on the whole. Right, we've been going on a lot longer than I think we thought we were going to, so we'll, we'll wrap up at this point. But just before we do, again, you can just do this in, you know, give me a name if you want to. You don't really have to do any more than that. But if you had to pick a player of the season, gents, who would you go for? Gundogan, I think, probably. Harry Kane, I guess, I, if I was being really biased, but... But no, Gundogan, I think, was wonderful for City. Him or Ruben Diaz. Ruben Diaz had an amazing impact on on Man City. I'd say Diaz. You know, you turn, you steady a ship. That's very, very important. And, you know, you've got to start at the back. And I think finding a player that's done that, you know, made John Stones the player. We all, well, I'm not quite sure saying we always hoped he'd be you know as an English person I always hoped he'd be let's hope he can can, can we can we get him a change nationality DS any chance <laughs> no yeah I don't think that's likely at this point um oh yeah, well I mean I'm gonna say maybe it's not so biased and, and I'm gonna pick Harry Kane uh if only because 
the number of Man City players who are up for it are you know through the roof. Actually, there's so many of them had good spells in the season. So many of them put together long good runs. There was a point where Cancelo looked like he was going to be player of the season. You know, a spell where De Bruyne looked like he was going to be player of the season. There were spells in that where Sterling looked really, really good, and yet we don't think of it as a particularly good season for him because of some of the standards he set in the past. And you know, you look at the number of weeks where he was eight, nine out of ten. You know, two, three weeks in a row. You know, that is it's it's remarkable that he's been that good in the past that we don't think of this as a vintage year so yeah lots of man city players were all in and around that conversation but harry kane is you know most goals most assists it's hard to really argue isn't yeah. it you know yeah. it's i guess it's it's just a case of what did it actually achieve you know even yeah. by Spurs' standards it was a bad year mm. i i uh, think the only i think the only thing i would say is that without him where would they have been and uh, I think they would have been. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you know that that partnership with Son was a a joy a joy to watch. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean Son's my you know my guy uh, at the club <laughs> at the moment, and, and has been for a couple of years now, at least since Ericsson kind of down tools. But but yeah, yeah, there's no doubt in what Kane has done what Kane has done for the club, and I think the reason why I, I I'm not upset that he's potentially leaving is you know he's already done so much you know and I think at a certain point you know apart from very rare occasions for example those 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 Man United players that came through their academy and stayed their whole careers you know it's quite rare nowadays to have one club footballers you know and so you always expect them to go at some point and uh, you can't ever doubt what he did what he did for the badge he has played for that badge every single time he's ever been on a football pitch. Yeah, the fact is, you know, when when you're at that level, you, you want to be competing for titles. And, uh, you know, the same way I never blamed, I might not have liked the way he did it, but I never blamed Van Persie for wanting to leave to to try and win something when it, it weren't happening at Arsenal. And, you know, it's something that, that we, we've seen with, with, with a few players over the years with, with us as well. And sadly, it's that if you've got a top player, he wants to be competing for the top prizes regularly. And if the club can't keep up with that, he's got to do it because, you know, careers can be cut short at any point. You know, one injury could be the end for anyone. Uh, I think if we win that Champions League final against Liverpool, the whole narrative around the club is different, you know, because it absolutely destroyed Pochettino like he was a broken man afterwards and a few months later that he got the sack you know but it's a bit like Gerrard right if Gerrard doesn't win that Champions League for Liverpool he probably goes to Chelsea oh yeah like definitely that, that, that 05 final in Istanbul if they don't win that he probably goes to Chelsea that summer and he made that emotional decision based on the fact that he'd won the Champions League with Liverpool and it's similar with Kane you know if he wins that Champions League well that's it he's won his big honour now like Mm. You know, he probably is happy to stick around for the rest of his career then. But but yeah, I mean, I just think at this point, Levy can do his dark arts, get as much money and capital and players as, as you can for it, do a proper rebuild with a good young coach and and, and we reset. And, and I think that's honestly the right thing to do, actually, at this point, rather than trying to keep hold of Kane out some misguided sense of ego about now being a big club. And we don't let players go, you know, it's, I just think at this point, let's just uh, reset, I think. I mean, I think that's as good a place to, to end as any, because that's really what's going to be the story of, of next season, isn't it? Is what happens with Kane, both for where he ends up and and for Tottenham. And it'll have a huge bearing on what happens next year. So um, I think we've 
in a weird way with the fake crowd noise and that we've enjoyed this season there's been a lot of little you know subplots going on along with the main things we'd like a bit more of a title race next year so if man city could wouldn't run away with it quite so much that would be great but maybe it's on the others rather than them the others to catch up we'll be back not too long in the future because we've got the european championships coming up we're gonna have something looking at the the euros before too much longer so we'll be back soon and until then take care and thanks for listening If you enjoyed this week's show, you can find more of us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or you know, whatever your regular podcast provider is. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. You can also keep up with us on Twitter, at 4ATBPOD, 4 at the back pod. Thanks for listening. <laughs>